This message is brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about our ministries, we encourage you to visit us online at tabernaclehickory.org. That's tabernaclehickory.org. You can find our sermons on a number of platforms, including Apple iTunes, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. We trust that God will use this message to speak to your heart. Well, I want you to take God's Word and go with me back into the Old Testament. And we'll find the book of Isaiah, chapter number 9, Isaiah chapter number 9, and verse number 6. God willing, next Sunday we will go back to Mark chapter 15, and we'll begin in verse number 22 next Sunday morning. I would encourage you, if you have not read the remainder of the 15th chapter of the gospel according to Mark, I want to encourage you to read it. We'll note the awful price that was paid uh, on the cross of Calvary by the Lord Jesus. And we think of the statement that he made when he said, it is finished. And that, that statement literally means it's paid for, paid in full. And I want you to think of the awful price that he paid to redeem you and I from the market of sin and to deliver us from bondage and bring us into life and out of death. Uh, today we've been noting a, a few things concerning uh, the justice and the righteousness of our God, the fact that he is our king. We looked this morning into the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter number 7, and uh, the subject of kings and kingdoms. As Daniel saw the vision of the sea, the disruption at sea as the winds of circumstance blew upon the earth and uh, the sea of humanity, four kings arose. Satan, of course, working uh, to motivate and inspire many of those kings to use those kings to bring the world to himself. Ultimately, uh, that will culminate in the rise of the Antichrist and his effort to bring the world into a one-world government in rebellion against God. And the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, of course, he will defeat the Antichrist, and he will bring the world uh, together under his uh, dominion and will rule and reign for a thousand years. <coughs> Excuse me. As we... Continue along that theme tonight, we come to the book of Isaiah, chapter number 9. And we begin reading in verse number 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there should be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with justice from henceforth, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. I want you to notice the phrase we find here in verse number nine of the increase of his government. I want to speak to you on that subject, the increase of his government. 
We've been examining today the righteous rule of the Lord Jesus. And uh, as we stand on the eve of an election, one that is critical in our nation, we understand that no matter the outcome, God is in control. And no matter the outcome, Satan will continue uh, to work to inspire the kings of this earth and uh, to bring the people of this earth into rebellion against God. That's been the work of Satan from the beginning. And uh, that work is only intensifying in our day. This promise that is given, this prophecy that is given, of course, speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ. The promise of a child, for unto us a child is born. That was a promise that God gave in the garden after the sin of Adam and Eve. When he said the seed of the woman, uh, the serpent would bruise the heel of the seed of the woman, but that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent, meaning that though the Son of God would be bruised, he would not be defeated, and ultimately he would crush uh, the devil and crush him in his power and defeat him. And of course, that happened at the cross of Calvary. The Lord Jesus came into this world, born of a virgin in Bethlehem, lived a righteous, sinless life, delivered us from our iniquities, rose again the third day to give us life everlasting. He is in the presence of the Father where he ever liveth to make intercession for us, and he is coming again. And tonight we rejoice in that. Unto us a child is born. The hope of that birth, the hope of the deliverer, Unto us a son is given, and he is our Savior, and he is our sovereign, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. The Bible said his name shall be wonderful. That means he is a miracle. He is a marvel. Think of it. The Son of God, born of a virgin. What a wondrous act. Not only was he born as a result of a miracle, but he was a miracle worker and a miracle performer. Those that he healed gave sight to. Uh, those that were delivered from demonic oppression, the winds and the waves that were stilled at his voice. He is the first fruits of them that slept. He came up from the grave on his own, of his own power and of his own strength, never to die again. He is the first fruits of those that slept. He is a miracle. He is a marvel. And this word is used to represent something unusual or extraordinary. And I want to tell you, when it comes to his, dom his dominion and his rule upon this earth, when it comes to the character of our king, the Lord Jesus, he is unusual and extraordinary. He's a counselor. His name should be called counselor. That means he will be an advisor. He will be full of wisdom, the wisdom of God and the wisdom of the ages. He is also to be called the mighty God. This speaks of his power. The everlasting father, this speaks of the duration of his life. It is never ending. He is eternal. The prince of peace, uh, this speaks of the fact that he extends the terms of peace uh, to us and he gives peace to us. Uh, the Bible speaks then of his government and peace. And the Bible says there shall be no end. Uh, the duration of his government 
uh, will be endless. He will order his kingdom. He will set things in order. He will rule and he will reign. He will establish it, the Bible says in verse number seven, with judgment, that is his, decora- his declarations, his legislation, uh, his commandments are right. They are holy. They are just. And so he will establish it with judgment and with justice. This speaks of the integrity of his administration, how his declarations are carried out in a just way. There will be no preference for anyone. Everyone will be, uh, will be viewed equally and justly, and he will do things with great justice. Uh, he, cannot be, uh, he cannot be bribed. He cannot be uh, dissuaded or, or, or uh, he cannot be uh, influenced uh, to favor one over the other. He will deal justly. This is King Jesus. And I just want us to think about the policies of our king tonight, the policies of our king as it relates to our world because he is, uh, he is our governor. He is our king. Now, as we think about some of the issues that plague our world, I just want to give you uh, his response, his policies to our problems. First of all, I want you to think about the problem in our nation, the problem of race relations. Do we have a problem that we've heard much about in recent days with race relations? Absolutely. And uh, is there legitimate concerns in this area? Absolutely. So what is God's answer to the problem of race relations? Well, it begins in Genesis chapter 1. Would you turn there with me? Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 26. I want you to see how that God intends to handle the matter of race relations, discrimination, and all the things that we hear about today in our culture, the injustices uh, that are done. We notice in Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 26 that God is creating. He is in the act of creation. And uh, on the sixth day, God makes man. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, the Bible said, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Now there are many things that could be uh, corrected in our culture today just with a thorough reading of Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. All the gender questions could be answered, and the marriage question can be answered. But in particular here, we're looking at this subject of race relations, and we understand that God created man in his, say the next word with me, church, image. Now, in case we didn't get it, in verse 27, the Bible said, so God created man in his own image. And then again, he says, in the image of God created he him. So three times in this passage, God tells us that he created mankind in his image. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, working in conjunction, creates man a triune being, body, soul, and spirit. 
And so what we understand is that when we see people in this world, we are looking at people who are made in the image of God. God condemns murder in the Bible, and he says as he gives that, as he gives that decree concerning murder, he, he, he reinforces this truth that man is created in the image of God. So when we take a life, we are ending the life of someone created in the image of God. By the way, that applies to the unborn babies in the womb. They're created in the image of God. That applies to you and I tonight, created in the image of God. That applies to all the people of this world. No matter the color of their skin or their ethnicity, they are created in the image of God. In Acts chapter 17, in verse number 26, the apostle Paul is preaching at Athens. And as he preaches in Athens, he says this in verse 26 of Acts 17, that God hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord if haply they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. So the Bible tells us that all men are made in the image of God and that all men have been made of one blood. That means no matter, again, the color, the ethnicity, the background, uh, no matter the race, racial identity, uh, we are all made in the image of God and we are all made of one blood. So why the division? Why the strife? Why the hatred? Why the violence? Why the discrimination? Because of sin in the heart of man. That's the answer. And so God tells us that the answer is found in Matthew 22 and verse 39, that thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So if you want to find God's answer to the problem of race relations, understand that God made us all in his image. Understand that we're all made of the same blood. We all come uh, from Adam. We all have the same blood in our veins, and we are to love our neighbor as ourself. If we're going to fulfill the law of God, if we're going to fulfill what God has commanded that we do, then we're going to love one another. And so may the Lord help us in this matter of race relations. And then the question may come to the Lord Jesus, well, what is your health plan? Well, I'm glad he has one. And uh, in, in Exodus 15 and verse 26, the Bible said, if thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God and will do that which is right in his sight and will give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. God is speaking to his people who live by different dietary laws and who live by uh, different sanitary laws. And these laws were given so that uh, the people of God could be protected from disease. Also, they were not to participate in the immoral practices of the Egyptians. And we all understand that immorality leads to disease. Uh, sexually transmitted diseases are at levels unknown in our nation. The highest levels we've ever seen. In fact, uh, pediatricians recommend that 
parents have their children uh, receive immunizations to protect them from sexually transmitted diseases and ultimately uh, from the HPV virus. The notion of purity, the notion of living a righteous life has been given up. And uh, we are to just go on and go forward thinking that our children are going to live any way they want to and follow the immoral practices of this world and then try to minimize the disease of uh, the risk of disease but god has told us that if we will honor him if we will live righteously if we will fulfill his commandments then that we can avoid diseases now not all diseases obviously people in our church are sick and not all sickness is a result of sin but some is the Bible tells us in the book of James chapter 5 and verse 14, is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Here in the book of James, we understand there is no doubt a correlation in the degree of the sickness of the people and their sinfulness. Because of their sin, there was sickness in their bodies. And we find that, again, not all sickness is a result of sin. In fact, much of the sickness that we see is the result not of the sins or the particular sins of individuals, but it is the result of sin as a whole working in our bodies. And so there is the principle of sin, and the principle of sin that produces death in us also produces disease. But in some cases, we can, avoid, uh, we can avoid health problems if we uh, follow the Lord. Now, nonetheless, when we deal with general sickness, uh, we can turn to the Lord. He is the Lord who heals us. And uh, many have prayed for healing and received healing. And I believe that God is still in the healing business, don't you? And I believe we should pray one for another. I believe God can use medical doctors. I believe God can intervene directly and touch the heart and life and body of someone who is ill and bring healing. But no matter the situation, God ultimately heals us all, does he not? When he delivers us from this body of death. For months and years, we prayed for the healing of my dad. Many of you have prayed for the healing of loved ones who were sick with a terminal condition. And ultimately, their body was not healed upon this earth. God chose to deliver them from the body of death and to bring them into the land of the living with him where they will never have another sickness or an illness. And so God has a health plan tonight and may God help us to be obedient to him. How about the issue of the environment? We hear a lot about that, don't we? Global warming, climate change. What does God have to say about that? Well, the answer is found for us in Revelation chapter 21. And let me just say, I can set your mind at ease tonight. This world will not be wiped away in 12 years unless the Lord comes in five or calls us out in five. Well, the truth of the matter is it's not going to be wiped out no matter because even if he comes for a thousand years, he's going to rule and reign upon this earth. So we have at least a thousand and seven years to go. So Greta Thunberg and all the people who subscribe to her thinking need to just rest a minute. They're talking to us about the fact that the earth is going, if we continue at these levels, 
of pollution and all of the things that get into the air that destroy uh, the, the atmosphere, uh, if that continues, the, the earth will be destroyed in 12 years. We've heard those ridiculous statistics as, as they have been given. And uh, there is a new religion. It is the religion of environmentalism. And by the way, we should be good stewards. We should not pollute. Amen? Uh, we should take care of this planet to the best of our abilities. But here's what we need to understand. Uh, the pollution of man will not destroy this earth. God will destroy this earth. Revelation chapter 21 and verse number 1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven, and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. Do you know what ended the first heaven and the first earth? God he burns it up. The Lord burns it up. That's how it's going to come to an end. Now, remember, he will rule and reign for a thousand years upon this earth. I don't know what the environmentalists are going to say during that time. I imagine they're going to have a symposium and say, well, we had it wrong. <laughs> uh, no, they wouldn't admit that, would they? And so we understand we are to be good stewards. We're to take care of this planet. To the best of our abilities, we should do so. But we don't have to fear global warming. We don't have to fear that this earth is going to be destroyed in 12 years. And then what about immigration? Well, did you know the Lord has an immigration policy? He certainly does. Uh, notice what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2. In Ephesians chapter number 2, in verse number 11, he says, Wherefore remember that ye, being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. He's speaking about Jews and Gentiles. The Jews who viewed themselves as God's chosen people. Their religion became a formalistic religion. Their identity in their relationship with God was based on a physical ritual. And they thought that they were the children of God simply by lineage and descent, no matter the condition of their heart. That's why he points out here that they were the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. Verse 12, that at that time ye, that is the Gentiles, a Gentile is someone who is not a Jew, someone who is outside the commonwealth of Israel, of any nationality and any descent. He says, ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That is who we are. That is who we were, rather. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. We were outside the covenant. We were outside the family of God. We were strangers and we were pilgrims. We had no hope in the Lord. We were far off. But because of Christ, because of his sacrificial death, because of his love to all men, and the door that was opened, the veil of the temple that was rent in two, and the access that we were given by grace through faith into uh, his glorious grace. Because of that, we who were far off, verse 13, have now been made nigh by the blood of Christ. Verse 14, <clears throat> for he is our peace, 
who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. In the court of the temple, there was a wall of partition and the Jews were separated from the Gentiles. And if the Gentiles wanted to come and worship God, they had to stay in the court of the Gentiles. And the Jews would never dare come into the court of the Gentiles because they would not, uh, would not want to defile themselves. But because of the work of Christ, the wall of partition, the wall of separation has been broken down. And we are now made one in Christ. We have been adopted into the family of God. What a blessing that is. No longer separated, no longer strangers, no longer aliens. Notice in verse 15, and having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, uh, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. Notice verse 19. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. We are now a part of the family of God. We are now citizens of the city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Can I tell you that God has an immigration policy and he will let all of us who desire to come in and put our faith and trust in Christ to come in. And he will take a group of people from all backgrounds who speak different languages, whose skin tone is different, who think differently, whose cultural experiences are different. And God brings us together in him. He has an immigration policy and I'm so glad he received me into the family. Well, the question may come, what about the crime problem? Do you have a policy on crime? And the Lord would say to us, oh, yes, I have a crime policy. In fact, he gave his law, did he not? He gave us his law, the Ten Commandments, and then the ordinances of the law, the ceremonial ordinances of the law, and other ordinances that God gave us to help us learn how to live our lives. And so we have the law. But what do we find when we have the law? We find that we are lawbreakers, right? What did Paul say? It, the law is good if a man use it lawfully. And we understand that the law is our schoolmaster. The law is our teacher. And what does the law teach us? The law teaches us that we cannot keep the law. You see, God has given us his standard of righteousness. God has given us his laws for life, and there are none of us who can live up to God's standard. But nevertheless, the standard is given. So what does God do? Not only does he give us his law, but thanks be unto God, he gives us his grace, his grace, so that when we break his law, we can come to him and receive his grace and his mercy, the mercy is that that we deserve, the judgment that we deserve. Uh, uh, it is when God withholds that judgment that we receive mercy. And it is when God gives to us a record of righteousness that we do not deserve, we receive his grace. And so the Lord addresses the crime problem. He gives us the law that reveals uh, that we're lawbreakers, but then he gives us his grace and his mercy. And then as we receive him, he gives us his grace spirit and that spirit within us is that which 
uh, Paul said, uh, motivates us to do right and not to do wrong. So the Lord has a, an answer to the crime problem. Then you might think about the mental health crisis, the anxiety and depression. And by the way, uh, the, the levels concerning anxiety and depression are at highs in the midst of the COVID crisis. In the shutdown, there are many things that people are suffering, anxiety and depression among the top. Now, how does God deal and respond to that problem? How does King Jesus plan to deal with that problem? Philippians chapter four and verse number six, the Bible tells us this, be careful for nothing. That means don't be anxious. I do not have to be anxious. Now, anxiety comes upon us. Uh, concerns and worries and fears come upon us. And some of us uh, have, have a tendency to become anxious more than others. But when we become anxious, we must learn to deal with it in the light of who God is and what God has said. So he says to us, when you feel this coming on, when this is becoming a part of your makeup and your thinking and you're gripped with fear, notice this, be careful for nothing, but in everything, here's the answer, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. So where do I go uh, in the midst of my anxiety, in the midst of my depression? I go to God. I go to God. I, I continue in prayer, and I ask God to help me. I pray and enter into his presence. Notice verse seven, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. God will give us his peace. Matthew chapter 11 and verse number 28, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When we come into the presence of the Lord, when we yoke up with him, we recognize that he is carrying the burden. And as we're with him, he is pulling the weight. The Bible says, casting all your care, 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. You know, sometimes we just want to know if someone cares, right? In this world with all the devices and all the technology, but yet in the midst of this separation and social uh, detachment and social distancing and sheltering at home, people are lonely and they're wondering if anybody cares. I want to tell you, King Jesus cares. And you can cast your care upon him. You can come and find rest for your soul, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your heart and mind. Do you know that God has a soul recovery program? He has a soul recovery program. In Luke chapter 4 and verse number 18, the Lord Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Do you know anybody who's poor in spirit? Do you know anyone who is discouraged and despondent? Do you know anyone who is brokenhearted, wounded, 
and suffering so? Do you know anyone who is a captive, maybe a captive to the past, maybe a captive to their pain, maybe a captive to their fear? The Lord Jesus said, I have come to preach deliverance to the captives. Do you know anyone who cannot see? Oh, they have physical sight, but they just can't see the big picture. They can't see because of some blindness in their heart and mind. The Bible said in recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. There are many people with wounded souls, injured hearts, dealing with great pain. But I want to tell you that God has a soul recovery program. And if you'll come to him, you'll find healing. There is a balm in Gilead. And the Lord Jesus, the righteous king, can help your soul recover. Uh, what about the sin problem? By the way, that's the problem nobody wants to recognize, but it's the problem that the king wants to address. The sin problem. Do you know that sin is a universal condition for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God? Do you know that sin is harmful to both the body and to the soul? The things that we do, the, the Bible says abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. We can hurt our own soul. The soul is the seed of our intellect, our emotion, and our will. We can harm and damage our own soul uh, by our own sinfulness. We can harm and damage our soul, I mean our body rather, by our sinfulness. Sin is a universal condition. It's harmful to the body and the soul. Do you know that sin separates us from God? That's the reason that we're strangers and aliens, because we're sinners. And by the way, once we've been redeemed, we can never be separated from his love. We can never be removed from the family of God. But we certainly can be uh, uh, hindered in our relationship with him. You know, uh, there are husbands and wives who are seated here together this evening, and I know that they're all madly in love with each other, and I thank God for that. And there's hardly ever an argument in your home. <clears throat> but on the rare occasion that one happens, and uh, you're upset with your spouse, there is not a, not a, not a break in your relationship, but there is a hindrance in your relationship. There's not a separation. You're still husband and wife, and you still love one another, but there's not the harmony that there was a while ago. As you see, sin disrupts the harmony of our soul and our walk with God. Do you know that sin causes suffering? Uh, when we say things that are hurtful, it causes others to suffer. When we do things that are wrong, it causes shame. Sin produces guilt, and sin produces condemnation. And sin inevitably brings death. But God has the answer to the sin problem, does he not? In the provision of his son. He gave us his only begotten son. And what did he do? He died for us. He became sin for us, made the payment of our sin, and then uh, he rose again triumphantly from the grave and offers salvation to all who will believe and says to us that if we confess our sin, that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. I'm glad that though the sin problem is universal, God has the answer to the sin problem. 
and not only will he deal with the sin problem, he'll deal with the problem that results because of sin. That's he will abolish death. Now, there's a campaign promise you better hold on to. King Jesus will abolish death. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number 22, but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. You see, we're all born in Adam. We're a part of Adam's sinful race. And we can be born into Christ when we receive him by faith as our Savior. When we, as Jesus said to Nicodemus, are born again. The moment that happens, uh, the life of Christ is manifest in us. And the dead soul of Adam, the condemned soul of Adam that is, that is in us, is replaced by the living soul, uh, the eternal soul. Uh, of life in Christ. And so he will abolish death. Do you know he has a plan for the family? Boy, the family's in trouble, isn't it? But God has a plan for the family. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, through chapter 6 and verse 4. God has a plan for the wife. God has a plan for the husband. God has a plan for parents. And God has a plan for children. But when we get out of line with God's plan, the family goes haywire. Do you know that black lives matter in the statement of their beliefs tells us that they are against the nuclear family, that they plan to dissolve the nuclear family, the the Western cultural ideal of the nuclear family. Now, let me explain what that means. Not, Not two people erupting on one another and going nuclear. That's not what that means. This is, uh, this is the idea Uh, the biblical concept of the family. One man and one woman form a marriage. And that, as a result of that marriage and that union, children are born. And that is the nuclear family. And Black Lives Matter, which though they use the term Black Lives Matter, really don't care about any lives except their own and their own agenda. And they seek to destroy this Judeo-Christian ethic and the model of the family that our world has embraced for 6,000 years of human history. And our families are in trouble today. Children are, are, are being neglected. Selfish parents uh, are breaking their marriage vows and, and shirking their responsibility to take care of their children and, and by the way, parenting is hard work, isn't it? And uh, I, I, I tell my children often, God has given me certain responsibilities. The most difficult one I have is the responsibility of a father and a husband. And so may God help us to follow God's plan for the family. And if there's a need in our society, it's that we return back to God's plan for the family. It's important. Do you know that God has a, an education plan? In Deuteronomy chapter number six, he says, "In these words which I commanded thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. 
God has an education plan. Do you know who he intends uh, that our children be instructed by? That's us. God wants parents to teach their children the truths of his word. Now, it's not so much something that we have to do by getting them to sit down every day and listen to us read a Bible story, although that we should do that. It's not us just giving lectures and telling them what's, what should be done and what should not be done. But it is us modeling before them what a marriage is, what a relationship with God is, what faithfulness to church is, keeping our spirit right and guarding our heart and what things we allow to come into our lives and going through difficulties together as a family and talking to our children about how it is that we're going to handle those difficulties and how that we're going to trust God in the face of those difficulties and pointing our kids to someone greater than themselves and greater than us and greater than the human government and pointing them by faith to God. That is how we teach them. And by the way, we cannot teach them what we do not have a passion for. And the reason so many of our kids have no passion for God is because there's no passion at home. And so this is God's education plan. We must have a passion for the Lord. We must love him. And if we love him, then we can teach with conviction. We can train our children in the way that they should go. And when they're old, they will not depart from it. That's no guarantee that they won't get off course. But it means that it will always be in their heart and they will know the truth that has been taught and modeled to them. We need to be concerned about the next generation. And may God help us to do so. You know, our children are going to go through difficulties. Kids are going to make fun of them at school. They're going to call them names. They're going to be unfairly treated. Uh, They're not going to enjoy every teacher they have. These are difficulties they're going to face. And parents can make a grave mistake when they try to protect their kids from every problem because you're setting them up for failure. The only way to strengthen a muscle is to tear it down. And as it's torn down, when it heals, it comes back stronger. And we want to raise young people who are strong in faith, who learn how to deal with difficulty, who learn how to deal with adversity, And may God help us as parents to act wisely. Never teach your children to rebel against authority. Can I tell you that if you do, you make a grave error? You make a grave error. Never side against authority. Now listen, authority gets it wrong. Yes, it happens. But don't teach your children to be rebels because one day they'll rebel against you. And so there's some pastoral words of love to you, and I hope that you'll follow them. I hope you'll take them in the spirit they're delivered in. Let me just say again, Jesus is our king, and he has a plan. I want to ask you a question. Will you enthusiastically cast your vote for him? I'm not asking you to go to the ballot box. 
I'm asking you to make a decision daily to follow him. Uh, many of you have signs in your yard, bumper stickers on your car. We see people uh, driving up and down the highway in processions and parades with flags flying. We see people in heated debates, and they're watching every news program, and they're researching the latest polls, and they're sharing posts on Facebook. Let's have the same zeal and enthusiasm for King Jesus and his policies. Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used his word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.